Hello, and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buto, president of PCEA. My guests today are David Bao, PhD, who is the director of new product development at Metallic Resources. He is joined by Eric Ozen, the senior manager and head of the recycling division, and Jeff Giles, the sales manager of Metallic Resources. Metallic Resources is a developer of high-purity solder for electronics applications. Among their products are bar, paste, and cord wire. Metallic Resources' slogan is, not your typical solder, and one big reason for that is the high-purity solder you supply. This is credited to your electrolytic refining process. What can you tell us about that technology? This is Jeff Giles. The, the technology is really sort of proprietary, but it does provide us with a, a cleaner, more pure solder. And uh, we accomplish that by using uh, scrap materials and that goes into our recycling process. But um, so all of our raw material comes from recycled tin, scrap boards, stuff like that. And we, we use our uh, electrolytic process to, to purify metals that we turn into our finished goods that we send out, raw materials we send out to our customers. Um, the reason that it's better um, is that uh, customers can save money uh, on manufacturing costs and um, making a better product. It's, it's more pure to start with, so they end up with better solder joints, stronger solder joints. So it's more pure to start with, even though it's coming from scrap material. And Metallic Resources is probably unique, at least among electronic solder suppliers, insofar as using only scrap material, not virgin. Correct. That's right. And Mike, we're kind of proud of that. Um, one of the reasons being at the, you know, the, the global rate that we use uh, resources um, throughout the world. And, and when you talk about uh, virgin metals, well, we no longer... Uh, dig the, the materials out of the ground, we we rely on uh, reusing, recycling. And that's kind of a big push for us. We're, we're, we're proud of the fact that we do that and that we can uh, keep stuff from going into the landfills and, and produce a, a better than product. One of the advantages of the electrolytic refining, besides the economics and that the, the, we're only using recycled materials, is is the purity that comes out because of the, the, the plating process. So depending on what alloy we're using, it's either uh, a pure tin or pure tin and lead because that's what what is plating over onto uh, the cathode metal at the, at the molecular level. And the contaminants drop down to the bottom of the tank, which are then recycled as other products outside of the electronic industry. Metallic Resources was founded in 1979. Was using reclaimed materials always part of your business model, or is that something that came about over time? Because sustainability back in 79 really wasn't a big thing in our industry. Well, I can tell you this. I started in 1986, and at that time, they were doing electrolytic refining. Um, they, st they started out, there were three partners, and they started out actually outside of the electronic industry buying scrap metal or scrap uh, 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 tin and lead from um, transmission shop shops that were um, using it 
it was being created as a scrap material. They quickly learned that the electronic industry was a better place to uh, chase this material. But in 1986, they were, they were plating. They were electrolytically plating and creating a solder. Back then, nobody wanted to hear about a recycled solder. The, the, the code words were virgin, 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 even though electrolytic refining is a better product. Um, but since then, we've all grown and learned, and it, we, we all know that it's better than digging it out of the ground and uh, keeping the environment clean. To my knowledge, all bulk solder companies offer some form of dross recycling, uh, but, but you have what you call this custom-designed recycling program. So let's talk about that. Okay. As, as I understand it, uh, there are also different types of materials that you're able to recycle, um, including you know, printed circuit boards, right? Insulated wires, lead wires, and so on. So we're not just talking about uh, the, you know, the solder pots and the you know, kilograms worth of, uh, of dross that you know, gets shipped up to your, to your plant. So we're really a recycler for the electronic industry. Now, we're a solder refiner, but we also recycle other materials. We deal with other, we deal with other refiners on these other materials, but we, we take them and we, we, we customize our recycling program for the customer. So depending on what they're looking to get recycled. Now, we, there's many items in the electronic industry that we're taking, um, such as PC board trim, uh, lead wires, um, solder paste, tubes and wipes, um, copper scrap, aluminum scrap. Um, but most of these are, go or many of these are going to other refiners. But the advantage in dealing with us is that we'll take 25 pounds of this, 20 pounds of that, 50 pounds of this, which is often the case in the electronic industry that they're generating more of the solder, the solder scrap items, but they also have these other items. And it wouldn't be convenient for them to deal with all these different recyclers. I'm going to take a brief break to mention our sponsor. This episode of PCB Chat is sponsored by PCB East, the electronics industry's East Coast conference and trade show. Coming to the Boston suburbs May 9 to 12, registration is now open at PCBEast.com. Getting back to the recycling, many novel ways have been proposed of late to reclaim metals from PCBs. One of the big issues is the amounts of the high-value metals like gold, palladium, silver. They just aren't sufficient to bother with. While the higher content metals like tin are relatively so cheap, it's more efficient just to buy that on the, you know, on the, on the wholesale market. So what's your secret? Are you, are you talking about from the printed circuit boards or are you talking about from the, the, the solder scrap? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about from the printed circuit boards. Well, most of these items are not a profitable uh, are not profitable for us to do. They're, they're, they're our lost leaders essentially. Um, the, the printed circuit boards typically have about 18 to 20 percent copper, maybe 22 percent copper on them. And then these days, there's less and less gold and silver on there. Um, it's really the copper that kind of makes the, the value of these materials, uh, makes it worthwhile as a break-even point. Um, we, we break these materials up, into, or we, we sort these materials based on what they are. So we, we sort them as high-grade printed circuit boards, medium-grade printed circuit boards, low-grade printed circuit boards, PC board trim, 
um, th those are the, the, the uh, and bare boards. Those are the items that we sort it by. And we pay accordingly on each one. Um, so we, in, in our industry, we don't see a lot of high-grade printed circuit boards. It's um, more so like motherboards or very rich gold. But today, they're, they're plating much less gold on the printed circuit board. So um, what defines a medium-grade printed circuit board is either there's gold on it or there's uh, processing chips. And that, that holds the value. Those items we start, we, we're paying for for a medium grade printed circuit board. Um, a low grade printed circuit board won't have any processing chips, won't have any um, gold on it, and we'll pay a nominal amount for that, um, but we'll pay something. And then you get down to the printed circuit board trim and it's basically we don't, we don't charge, we don't pay for, we take them and get them recycled. And it's kind of a break even wash. How are those products sent to you? You know, do you have um, longstanding customers who ship their scrap, um, or is this part of like you know, uh, take back um, uh, programs? You know, that are run through big OEMs or the combination of, well, of all of the above. We're dealing with the electronic industry directly, so we're dealing with the the, the assemblers and the fabricators. Um, that's that's our our customer base, and those are the ones we're servicing. So we will take that material in when we, when we take in a, a shipment with the solder dross. That's part of what makes it economical for freight is they, they'll ship it with, let's say, three, 300 pounds, 500 pounds of solder dross or solder scrap, which is heavy and dense and moves relatively cheaply. And then the, the electronic scrap they'll put into, they can put it into boxes, they can put it in uh, uh, drums, whatever is convenient for them to, to send it. I mean, most of it ends up coming in, in boxes, to be honest with you. Um, and then we get the boxes recycled, too, because we're dealing with cardboard recyclers. Will you take just bare boards or will you take boards that have parts on them? We'll take both, um, as, as long as we're getting the solder scrap. And so as part of that, as part of that process, um, does that, do you end up scraping metals off the board or would you heat everything up and separate it that way? Or, you know, what can you tell me about that? We don't, we're actually not doing the, the, the refining on those materials. We're sending those to, to recyclers who or to refiners who do do that. So, um, the, the, basically they will, uh, they will shred the boards and then ret uh, ret retrieve the metals from the, the board. And when we ship those out, we're shipping them in, in, in truckload volumes. So we're, you know, our customers may be sending us 100 pounds or 200 pounds of this and 50 pounds of that. When we send it out, we're sending it, you know, 30,000 pounds at a time. Now, North America was the last bastion for leaded solders, and my understanding is that the SAC and the high tin solder compositions have completely overtaken eutectic tin lead for solder paste. Even the military primes seem headed that way if they're not there already. The next generation of lead-free alloys coming out has an emphasis on reliability, temperature, cost. Is that consistent with what you're seeing? Uh, yes. Actually, uh, right now, uh, North America, we still have a um, big portion of uh, tin lead users, but uh, overseas, most uh, most of the other countries, they are going to the 
uh, lead free. So uh, the, the newer uh, alloy is a coming, but I still have some like a concern, a reliability concern, those kind of things. But uh, uh, industry, IPC, has some standard that like an, uh, lead free, uh, mostly like tin copper and a sack alloy, which is uh, uh, tin, um, copper, and, uh, and silver. And then you offer a variety of um, solder paste. You have your own fluxes. Uh, you know, you, you offer cord wire um, and so on. Yes. We make our own, uh, all the formulations, all the products as our own. We do the development. And uh, also uh, for bigger customers, we customize for them. What does your in-house testing capability look like? The testing, um, most of the like, uh, it's incoming, uh, outcoming testing. It's a uh, basically IPC standard testing, but uh, the mechanical strength of those we have to send it out, mm. and some of the reliability testing also we are sending out to the other uh, testing lab. For years, OEM specified the solder. Then the EMS companies arrived on the scene, and in many instances, they took that over. Where does the ownership of the specification stand today? Is that in the hands of EMS companies for the most part, or OEM still man- maintaining that? I think it's both. Uh, it's a case-to-case. I think some of them, uh, the OEM, they, they dictate, and the uh, rest, probably they have a, um, a, a lot of them has uh, the flexibility. And that has kind of transformed over the years. I mean, uh, OEMs used to have uh, a, a great deal of power when they would uh, specify a product and they would make uh, their, their their contractors go through testing and that sort of thing. But um, as as the industry developed, uh, the contract manufacturers have become more and more uh, respected. Um, and then they they kind of get, they did push back a little, saying that you know we can't keep. Uh, changing our pots for specific types of materials that we've selected this one it, it you know will give you all the, the testing parameters that we've gone through and and so you, you're right uh, I think uh, uh, contractors have a, a lot greater power now to, and it, it saves money in in the long run in your experience do the design engineers influence the solder selection at all I, I think they do sure sure they do and they, and they uh, some of the some of the older guys they've been around for a long time. Um, they have preferences. They and it, I mean it can be um, as abstract as you know liking uh, uh, Heinz ketchup over over the. <laughs> I think um, a lot of uh, companies are wasting money uh, for that reason. They stuck into like a, a high cost material, but they cannot change it uh, because. They, they qualified, qualifying process is a very long and uh, expensive. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, our industry tends to be very risk averse uh, when it comes to processes. There's a pro and con on that. Uh, com- competing in a global uh, market, if you are too rigid, you're not going to follow your, uh, I think, uh, your, uh, when you're competing, you're going to lose the niche. And, and, and most of the, the modern uh, lead-free uh, alloys um, that are being used, uh, the tin, tin copper and, and tin copper with an additive, um, they've 
been out there long enough now, the 20 plus years, that they've proven that they have a high reliability um, and high strength value. I mean, over the years, it's 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 a, just a known fact. So that, that's that's a, a contributor to that as well. Yes, we educate our customers. A lot of times we help them. Uh, so we're not only solving their problem, also give them suggestions. For instance, we still see a lot of customers use SAC alloy, which is uh, 3% silver, which is uh, very high cost. But in uh, the meantime, you can have uh, just tin copper with uh, some additives. Works as, as good as um, the, the SAC. So we, we do that kind of uh, uh, technical support as well. I mean, I think a strong case could be made that just the transition from eutectic tin lead to SAC 305, SAC 406, and then, you know, the, you know, a lot of the 99, the tin 99s and things like that, the, um, what we, what we effectively saw was an industry, you know, was, it was pushed that direction, right? They didn't necessarily do it because they wanted to. But then they recognized once they got there and tried all these different flavors of, of solders that some of these alternatives performed better in certain applications than eutectic tin lead. That must have been pretty eye-opening. That's um, probably, it's still debating. I think um, uh, a lot of cases, so liability-wise or many applications, still eutectic tin lead is better. It's only an environmental concern of pushing that. Uh, initially, so and now of course uh, it's a industry trend is going to the lead free. So uh, if uh, if you take out the environmental concern, it just just doesn't justify that the uh, lead free. What have you done? What work have you done in terms of the lower temperature solders? Low temperature solder is already there. It's a business containing. The, but the bismuth is, um, especially bismuth and lead, if it's uh, somehow externally mixed into it, then it forms a very low temperature uh, phase in the joint. That's a, that's a, a reliability concern. That's why initially when the, the lead-free was considered, uh, bismuth was taken out. But now a lot of, uh, especially uh, from Japan, uh, Asia, they are pushing this uh, bismuth-containing uh, uh, alloy, uh, I think uh, industry gradually uh, accepting it. Uh, yeah, we are we are following it, but uh, we are not pushing it too hard. And it's um it's it, it, on the sales side. It's a, it's a difficult issue because it, it, we have to weigh uh, quantity of sales worth um, you know a, a product product that we sell. If it's going to be a small small amount of customers, we don't have the the uh, the push. From customers for those kinds of things, um, I do know that Indium is working on some really fantastic stuff right now. But um, it's a great avenue to pursue, and eventually we'll get there. Um, but for us uh, right now, we, we just don't have the customer base that's, that's looking for that sort of material for us to really take that deep dive. Understood. Uh, have you, in the conversations you've had, you know, have there been concerns that you know bismuth and some of these other uh, elements, right? They they don't necessarily produce that nice shiny joint that people have been used to for you know fifty or sixty years, and there may not be anything mechanically wrong with the joint, but it just doesn't look like you know what they're used to seeing. Um, 
what kind of conversations have you had with customers about that? And what do you know about where the standards are, are headed in, to, in so far as inspection? I think uh, initially inspection did have this problem, all, all of the that free, but that's already over. Industry already used to this kind of uh, the shininess. Initially, when they do, uh, this has like, uh, because they used to that shininess of, um, uh, of tin lead, uh, but right now the uh, solder paste and, and the wave soldering, the joint uh, looks looks pretty good, very close to uh, tin lead. Uh, it's not just uh, a business. Actually, uh, the uh, silver alloy the same. Uh, the the shininess mm-hmm. is not there uh, compared to uh, tin lead. But business actually uh, wets better than a uh, sac alloy. Um, but uh, still. Business concern is that the the reliability, the brittleness. If, yeah. yeah, brittleness, and also somehow if you mix with uh, lead, that's going to be mm-hmm. a concern because on the ninety six degree uh, phase, that can be like a, a starting point of the joint start to right. you, uh, yeah. You may uh, end up in trouble out in the field. Yes, reliability. <laughs> Do you think design engineers are aware of that to the extent that they should be? Initially, this is a really uh, thoroughly studied. But now the industry coming back and your generation of uh, this, uh, I think, uh, engineers not aware of the initial study, I think probably need to educate them more. Um, otherwise, it can get into some, some reliability uh, issues. And I know you're based in Ohio, but um, do you serve every region? Uh, yes. We do. We we are we are a global company. We we have uh, global um, customers. Um, we we have uh, sales representatives in you know uh, all over the country. Um, we do provide uh, global assistance stuff like that. We have strategic locally stocked distributors in different parts of the country and. Um, and that's that's U.S. and global. So we we have we have we can always use better coverage. But we've got <laughs> is your development all concentrated in Ohio, or is uh, is that um, spread out? Uh, yes, yeah, concentrated in mm-hmm. Ohio, right? Got it. And I know you'll be exhibiting at PCB East in May. Uh, where else can engineers find you? Uh, we we typically uh, are at um, the Apex. Which was uh, just in San Diego, and then we we do the um, SMTA, which has uh, most recently been in um, Minneapolis, and we we do those shows every year. So they can they can find us there. We put out uh, feelers to to let folks know what booth we're at, and, and we give away good stuff. <laughs> and your and your website is metallicresources.com. dot com. That is correct. Uh, anything else you want to leave our listeners with? I would like to say that, um, you know, we are, uh, for the Responsible Minerals Initiative, we're, we're actually one of only, a, there's a handful of uh, what they call the uh, conformant smelters, and there's only a handful, of, I, think, I think there's around 160 uh, conformant smelters around the globe for 10, we're talking about 10, um, and we're one of those, and, and out of the, the U.S., there's literally less than a handful of those guys. So, so we're one of those guys. Um, we're, we're proud of that. Um, we offer a solder analysis program for our customers, which for our, if they're 
if they're using our recycling business or if they're re, uh, using our uh, finished products, uh, we offer a solder analysis program that we can test their uh, their pots or wave machines, select solder machines, uh, and try to help them keep their uh, their production in spec and running at optimum. Uh, so we, we'll do that uh, free of charge. We use a, an ArcSpark OES or optical emission spectrometer system, so it's one of the the most accurate uh, out there. Um, so, and we're, so we're proud of that program. And is that something that you need to send a technician or an apps engineer into a factory to do, or is that something that can be just installed and then detected remotely? The customer will send in a sample, a uh, small plug. We, we provide uh, everything for that program. We'll provide molds. We provide uh, envelope, shipping envelopes and, and shipping cards. Uh, and typically if a customer is, uh, two days away. Once we receive the the sample, we can get uh, the results back to them that same day via email, so that they can check their uh, their production lines and, and get it back in order, or or know that it is in proper working order. Is that quick enough for companies, especially ones that are you know in the Midwest or sorry in the um, in the U.S. that are doing um, a lot of you know high mix product? Is, is that frequent enough for them to be able to, you know, maintain that bath quality? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does depend on customer. We have many, many customers. I mean, and, and that program is just, it, it works like gangbusters. We have many, many customers, that even, even customers that pay for the service that maybe aren't uh, uh, buying material from us. But most companies are on a quarterly check. Uh, depending on their customers, it may be, uh, uh, it could be a weekly check. It just depends on, on the, what products they might be making and, and, you know, the specifications that they have to meet. That is more than 300, uh, I think in, nowadays probably even more, uh, three, more than $300 worth of service uh, free, and uh, they can send us as much as they want to, the sample. Free is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, one of the things that, that, that we pride ourselves on in this day of automated customer service, uh, metallic resources, we work the old-fashioned old way. We're a privately held, family-owned business, privately held. And when somebody calls in here, they get a real person, and we do everything we can to help them in any way, any way we can. And that, that goes on both ends of the business. Uh, on the scrap end or on the uh, finished products. That alone, I think, is almost unique in this day and age, uh, particularly here in the U.S. So I congratulate you on your commitment to that service. And, and that could go a long ways. It's not, it's not only our, our customers. And this, as you know, this industry is we all sort of know each other. And we work pretty hand in hand with our competitors as well. So uh, many of our competitors might buy our base materials because of its purity to start their own uh, products. So it's, um, you know, and we're, and we're happy to help where we can with those kinds of things. Interesting. Uh, you know, all these years I've been in this industry and I did not know that. That's really interesting. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. I'd like to thank today's guests, David Boa, Eric Ozen, and Jeff Giles of Metallic Resources. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day.